The reasons to treat yourself to a frozen drink from Mickey D's go on and on and on. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. Your new flavor craze is here. From sweet and fruity frozen Fanta Wild Cherry to the classic cool of a frozen Coca-Cola to the tasty and tart frozen Fanta Blue Raspberry. Get any size for $1.59. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. When you hear the title or the podcast name Young Pros Talk, like what do you think about? I think about young professionals talking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, young pros talk. That, it seems self-explanatory. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm always trying to like, it's kind of hard to explain sometimes because it's not, people think young pros talk, oh, they're talking about like corporate people, but it's not supposed to be corporate people per se. Right. It's supposed to be people. That, I, I can see that. Yeah. It's supposed to be inclusive of people who aren't in the corporate world. To not, you know, disregard the corporate world, but I just feel like, well, the reason I started- Have a lot of people giving you that feedback that it sounds like corporate people? Well, that's what they think. Like, you talk to, like, professionals, right? Like, well, everybody's a professional, but, like, their mindset is always on somebody with an office job. Right. Yeah. I mean, young professionals, usually that's put together with yuppies, right? A young professional. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it sounds maybe businessy. But then I also- but pros, when professionals are shortened to pros, I, that makes me think of sports. Oh, oh um, okay. I never thought of sports, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's a, that's true, because you say pro athlete. Yeah. yeah. You don't usually say professional athlete. Yeah. So Sports, yeah. Athletes are usually shortened to pros. Yeah. Versus, like, professionals in the business world. Like, even if you did work at a bank, I don't know if you'd be like, I'm a pro. <laughs> I'm a pro at the TD, and yeah. it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> very true. Yeah. Very true. All right, so we can definitely just get started now. This is episode seven, seventeen. Excuse me, um, <laughs> seventeen. That decade um, it just went by so fast. <laughs> I'm just gonna call it. The title is a working title, but I like a brief cinematic history. Um, my name is Redman. My co-host, who has officially joined me permanently, Harris. Uh, yeah, Harris. I did, when did that Congrats. become official? Yeah, <laughs> you did not put a ring on it or anything. Became official today, yeah. just now. It's like you didn't read that waiver you signed today. <laughs> <laughs> it was different. Um, and at today's special guest, um, great filmmaker, film expert, uh, Eric Anderson. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if I go so far as expert, but we're all we're all trying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today. It's going all right. How are you guys? Good, good. Very yeah. happy. Just getting over a hangover just in time. Yeah. A hangover. Getting over yeah. a hangover just yeah. in time <laughs> to be here for the podcast. I was worried that I wasn't going to be. Yeah, I had some uh, aspirin this morning as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're all in the same boat. Yeah. So uh, usually I just start off with the same basic question. You can answer however you like. Just tell everybody about yourself, your background, how you got into film. Hi, everybody. Um my background is uh, I'm from the West Coast. I was born in Van and grew up in Victoria. I don't know. Do you have like a lot of American listeners? 
Do you not? Yes, some, but not okay, a lot. Okay, so Seattle. I'm from Seattle. Okay. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like that's the area, that's the area for right? those for those that don't <laughs> right. know the geography. Um, and then it, getting into film, I was kind of an autodidact. I just I knew I wanted to do it. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't think growing up. I'm probably a bit older than you guys, and growing up in Victoria, I think now in high schools. Almost every high school probably has like media programs and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And there was none of that wow. when, when I was in high school. So I had no idea how to get involved with film. And but I think, you knew that you wanted to get involved? Yes. How did you come about this realization? I, just, uh, just a compulsion. Just like it just feels right. Like nothing else ever was in my brain. Did you watch a certain film or something that inspired you? And you're like... In hindsight... I know uh, I had tendencies that are probably common across people that are obsessed with a thing because right. I would want to watch the same films over and over and over. And my mom would think that was really strange. And like mm. I would watch Beverly Hills Cop like a hundred, like literally a hundred times, you know, right. and I would, and Ghostbusters and a lot of those sort of SNL inspired comedies when I was a kid is what I loved. But um, I just knew I wanted it, but I didn't. I didn't think I knew how to articulate that, and I didn't know any filmmakers. And Victoria's a little small, and uh, yeah, I had absolutely no idea. And there was kind of no one helping and no resources mm-hmm. to to say just like, oh, if you want to do that, well, then you go off here. And and right. it uh-huh. just seemed like it was some films were something that was made by Americans in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and it's like, how do you? access that or do that and did you know what you wanted your involvement to be in film like did you know like oh i want to write a movie or like i want to be in a movie or like the first thing i think was that i wanted to be in them i mean that's that's the first thing sometimes i think you don't know when you're a kid how to articulate yourself or or how Uh you want to express yourself through something because those things haven't been delineated in terms of how you can be involved i just knew that i liked them and i knew i wanted wanted it but i didn't know how and what that meant but i I knew i mean i liked performers i liked eddie murphy and i liked bill murray and Mm -hmm. uh so my first thought was just comedic uh, right performance but um it wasn't until the end of high school because i didn't even going into high school i didn't even have a sense of what a director was like i would see those mm-hmm. names on mm-hmm. films and like well, i'd ask my mom like what is a director it's like right. well they help tell the actors what to do it's like mm-hmm. that it's an abstract concept i think when mm-hmm. you're a kid right and it wasn't until high school where you had people directing plays that you start to get a sense of what mm-hmm. a director does at least mm-hmm. theatrically um and it wasn't until the end of high school that i was like okay maybe i also was thinking about okay once i'm out of high school i have no idea i'm I, I came to the very like harsh realistic uh <laughs> uh thought that I was like I am too ugly to ever be a leading man. I'm <laughs> never ever going to get those parts. So I'll have to write them. Mm-hmm. Right. If you can't mm-hmm. if it's not there for you, you got to make yeah. it yourself. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know that's smart though. Cuz like I mean a lot of us, you know, whether you know whatever your look is or whatever, it's mm-hmm. like it's better to create your own opportunities. Yeah. I think we live in a time where you really can take advantage of something like that. Absolutely. And I feel like that's where it's going to be for me if I, because I love film as yeah. well. And I feel like if I'm going to be in film, I'm probably going to have to write the stuff myself yeah. in, in order to get it out there because it's just such a, I mean, if you know anything about the Hollywood industry, it's like so almost impossible. Like 
to 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 break into that you know so like it's a huge competition pool to yeah. the united states i mean there i mean there's la is probably made of thousands upon thousands of actors with dead dreams yeah <laughs> like it's a lot of people that want to be involved yeah and, mm-hmm. um and it's easier now to to make things i mean you can make the cameras that we all have right now on our phones are better than any video camera that was available for even thousands more mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in like the 90s mm-hmm. like when i was growing up there was like no real way to it was in that in between area between like digital and still analog film and mm-hmm. analog films way too costly so you couldn't really mm-hmm. make it yourself and the video sucked and it couldn't hold up to mm-hmm. hollywood standards but now like yeah everyone has hd video yeah yeah so uh so you originally became interested in film just watching movies like was there a moment it wasn't any movie it was just like i don't knew i don't remember not being kind of infatuated with them i think even my first memories as a child probably because your memories are a little selective that like the things i remember first are films it's like ghostbusters Mm -hmm. watching Mm -hmm. ghostbusters so you did a little bit of theater then in high school and then you know you're done high school and now you're like, okay, I need to make my own opp- opportunities if I'm going to make it mm-hmm. in this field that I love. So where do you go from there? So I, I didn't know at first. Um, right out of high school, I, I basically fled. I did a gap year because I, I didn't. I was being pushed towards university, but for the UVic in Victoria doesn't have still to this day a film program. Really? So it's like, wow. what am I gonna? My mom's like, be a math teacher. I'm like that's <laughs> nothing to do with what I want in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I did. I kind of ran a well. I didn't run away, but I went to England for a year. Did a gap year. Mm-hmm. That was awful. And then uh, I. Came, what were you doing there? Gap year, you just kind of work. You get out of high school and then you just go and work at a high school. It's like you, it's like you never, you still haven't gotten out in a way. Okay, okay. But then it's weird because the British system, they go an extra grade. Uh-huh. So like they have A levels, right? Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. like eighteen year olds, and I was only eighteen. So it's like the same age as the people that were in their final year of high school, and I was like bullied again but in england <laughs> like now like i've gone all the way to a foreign country just be bullied by these prep school jackass your accent didn't make you cool no usually being, it's like you know everybody likes the exotic thing i feel i thought so <laughs> yeah until i got there and then uh, and like, fuck this guy <laughs> well the thing i'd always get in, in england too is like the first thing is, oh you're from america <laughs> like, no I'm, I'm from canada oh toronto it's like no no and my standard response became like because it was always that line of questioning you're from america no you're from toronto no and i'd say like do you know where moscow is like, yeah like that's how far away I live from Toronto. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> like because wow. they don't have the sense the of sense our of space. Yeah, 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 they yeah, don't. Yeah. That, wow. So when did you? What did you do after you left? So wait, Victoria is the same distance. It, from- <laughs> I, I don't know if this is. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> we can figure this out. I don't know if it's exact, but you know, like thirty-three hundred kilometers. <laughs> okay, fair, fair, fair. Um, so I, I came back, and then uh, eventually I uh, found that there was a small little. It's almost like a film camp on this island Ooh. called Galliano Island in, in BC, which is mm-hmm. on the coast. And I went for like you take a week, you'd have to like shoot and cut and make a film in a week. And oh wow, that sounds pretty stressful. Yeah, yeah. the The last night is stressful because like, everyone. Do you have to formulate the idea for the thing. Yeah, you have Ooh. to formulate the idea in the first day because you need to start wow. shooting the next day. And, okay. And, you're so this is like a very quick production. It's boot type camp, of thing. basically. Okay. Yeah, so get your hands dirty. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, boot camp, and 
that place is now up for sale actually as we speak <laughs> unfortunately it used to be a great little media hub there on the west coast and um i then i did another sort of month program there so i did in like five weeks in total but it's not enough to get really skillful or go deep technically with anything it's mm-hmm. just like your basic cursory hands-on and uh and you're making things in groups so it, it wasn't until like Oh, and then at this time, still not knowing, okay, well, I've done that. And I, I knew I was like, yes, everything in me was saying yes. Mm-hmm. But where do you go from there? It, it wasn't like a, it, it, it wasn't a springboard to anything else. It was just like, okay, so now you've got your hands dirty, go out and make stuff. But then how do you do that too? And there's, I still had no resources. I inherited, the, the one sort of break I ever had was that I inherited um, a 16 millimeter Bolex camera, like an old spring wound Swiss mm. one mm-hmm. from my father. And I didn't know my father growing up because he had died when I was little. Mm. And, um, and my uncle sort of gave this camera to me. And so I think when I was just working Joe jobs in Victoria, when I was like 20, 21, eventually I saved up and I just, I just tried to make, a film and I, I so I had this Bolex and I had some old stock that was like maybe this will still work from the yeah. 70s that was like still in his camera uh-huh. and there's a film co-op in Victoria called uh, Cinevic and I I was young and kind of brusque and so I went to Cinevic I was just like who's the oldest person you got <laughs> which is probably quite rude and they were like <laughs> but they told me and they're like yeah. Gilbert Taggart yeah and I said can you give me Gilbert Taggart's email and and I wrote this guy, Gilbert Taggart, and it turns out he was a very interesting kind of character. He was uh, originally, he's American from Colorado, but had been interested in language, had become a prof- like French professor in Montreal, and wow. was making 16 millimeter uh, animated films, mm. but on a Bolex camera. And so I wrote him and I said, would you be willing to show me how this thing works? Because it's not, we're st- not everybody had a computer yet because it's like around 2000, 2001 and I didn't really have the internet too often and uh-huh. like it's, it's information isn't as readily. You could readily. just Google it how they yeah. used a Bolex camera. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, I didn't, right, I, right. so I literally just went over to his house this old sort of man in his 70s and had this sort of transatlantic accent. Yes, this is very good, Eric. This is how you do it and he like showed me how to load it. Obviously, we're doing very different things because I was doing live action drama and he was he just had a, a bolex sort of set up uh in his basement that would point down and he would one frame at a time do old cell animation by himself oh. in his basement oh. but at least he could show me the mechanics of the camera and how right. that worked and then i made a f- I naively tried to make a film and then it, it of course it was real film and i finished on 16 and i cut it on 16 too and he showed me how to do that but it was really costly compared to like wow. you could make a digital film. Like you guys seen some of my yeah. shorts for like five bucks. Yeah, this thing yeah. probably ended up costing me sixteen hundred dollars to wow. like uh, to process and like a four minute film. And um, I just paid for it out of pocket just working Joe Jobs. And where did you come up with the script and the idea for the film itself? Um, I just sort of I knew I had to do something simple. Uh-huh. Um, so did, did the access to the tools that you had dictate your creativity at all? Or? Yeah, well, it's a bit of a symbiotic relationship, right? Because right. you know, I think there's a lot of folly in the Canadian industry where people are very inspired by Hollywood, so they try and make Hollywood-esque things for right. very little money. It's like you can't, but it, you're, it's not going to look like that. Yeah. Right, right. So I knew I had to do something extremely simple. 
and I came up with this story that I, I thought was kind of cute. And so I guess it's a bit twee, but uh, this baby just being taken. I, I remembered when I had been in elementary school, I think one of those days where the teacher like set up an old 16 millimeter like projector back in the day and mm. they had like NFB films or something like that. They showed this French film, which is quite famous, I think called like The Red Balloon. And it's this little boy. I think he's running through Paris with this. And that's my only impression of it. It's just this little boy running through. And I thought, okay, I, I was something inspired by that simplicity. And I had a baby who whose mother gave him a little red balloon. And then I did a voiceover narrative in a French accent mm. and called it Le Red Balloon. And, um, and then like a kind of 1920s Chaplin-esque tramp comes and steals the balloon and like, brings chaos into the little short and then the baby cries and then the mother eventually <laughs> has another has a backup balloon mm. and everything's okay right. um but it worked and and then again i just by learning as i went along i was like okay now what i what do i do with this i guess i send it to festivals and i didn't know anything about mm. festivals or which ones were good to try or which ones were not good to try they all cost money so everything's mm. every step is like a learning curve right uh-huh. and it's like okay i want to try my hometown one i want to try victoria mm-hmm. um in hindsight i should have like tried toronto or like mm. you you start with the big ones and then go smaller but i went straight to like i want my hometown and then i tried a few others and i got in like three out of ten festivals i maybe applied for before my money like capped out right. and i was like okay well i guess i failed that sucks like <laughs> uh-huh. and again in hindsight three out of ten is really good yeah, and yeah, yeah. i was gonna say yeah. three sounds pretty good yeah, it's really, really good. good and that now knowing what i know had i have started to email more festivals i mean i probably could have got into a few dozen festivals mm. yeah but I didn't know. I just thought I failed, basically. So do you still have the film? With, like, is it on digital now, or is it? I have a 16 millimeter print, and I've uh, also digitized it in a in the cheapest way you can, which is just, like shoot it on a, a white wall, and then you just record it digitally. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So now, where is it? Is it you, on any any of your? Um... It's on my Vimeo. You can see that one on my Vimeo. Oh, why did I miss that one? I must have missed that oh. one. Oh, so that's so that was the very first thing you ever filmed. That was my first solo. Yeah, film the red balloon. So, what when was the next step for you um, after you did that film, and then after you did those uh, those festivals? After did you go to attend to any I, of these festivals? All, or? I, all I did was attend Victoria, and uh, and it was weird. Well, so you applied to ten within Victoria. No, I applied to like ten. Like I got into one in England, and I got into oh, okay. I, like somewhere international, but they were like smaller comedy ones, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. the Victoria one was the only one I went to. And it wasn't a great first experience. It was a bit of mm. shambolic sort of organization. And, and I think the sound, like they messed up the sound. Um, so I wasn't actually thrilled with the screening. Uh-huh. But then it was like, well, what do you do? Again, mm-hmm. unless you have like some sort of life coach telling you like, this is what you do now. It's almost like a tree. Like it was in hindsight good to get into three festivals. And then it was just like a tree falling in the woods with no one to hear it. Mm. It's like, then what do you okay i'll just do it again and i just made another short film and i got into a couple more festivals but then again it's like how do you build any momentum i eventually applied for uh, some sort of emerging uh nfb grant Mm. didn't get that uh that nfb is national national film board of canada yeah and they have offices pretty much across the country and they have one downtown toronto i think as well yeah and they're supposed to help emerging filmmakers um 
And <laughs> just not in my case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and so there was no answer. I just mm-hmm. kept trying to make stuff of my own. But then it's hard to progress because I'm not getting any budgets and you're just still it's like the definition of madness is trying the same thing and expecting mm-hmm. different results. And yeah. I just had to keep I just kept doing that because no one was helping and nothing moved. So I just okay. kept making stuff. Uh-huh. So when did you go to university and start? Like, did you, is your undergrad studies in um, film or is it in um, something else? I, I, so I didn't go to university right away mm-hmm. despite that pressure. I just knew I wanted to be involved with film and I didn't, I didn't know how to, uh, if someone could have just told me that there was a film school at SFU in Vancouver and I would have gone there, but no one was, mm, yeah, no I didn't know. And there was no Google back then. <laughs> <laughs> this is the stone age. Yeah, exactly. uh, I, I, so I didn't go to university and then. Eventually, I moved to Montreal when I was in my mid twenties, and I, since I was already making films, I felt why Montreal? Well, uh, there's something about moving up to slightly bigger cities, right? There's mm-hmm. really just three options: that you're going to go to Vancouver, which yeah. is kind of still home base yeah. for film, right? Isn't that like Canada, Canada or Hollywood it, North? They call it uh, Vancouver. It, yeah, it wasn't so much moving for film; it was just that I was getting restless in my hometown, and I wanted uh, to to move out. So it's going to be Vancouver or Toronto. No one's moving to Alberta, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. it's sorry to everyone Alberta. But, um, <laughs> uh, so it's going to be Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal, and right. yeah. I didn't have uh, Vancouver was too close to home. Mm-hmm. Toronto is English speaking, but I wasn't sure about it and I'd been to Montreal and it was really fun because it's mm-hmm. very fun for young people. It's a mm-hmm. bit of a sin city uh-huh. and mm-hmm. and I liked that it felt a bit more cultural. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, Montreal. And okay. so I, I just, and I had a few friends there as well. Went to Montreal and then after I lived, started living there, I eventually took an undergrad and instead of odd decisions. So you moved there with no plan? I moved there with no plan. You're just like, I just don't like Victoria. I'm going to move to Montreal. Well, I, you just got to leave yeah. the nest at some point, right? That's yeah. fair. So That's I, fair. And, and so, yeah, I had no real plan. And then about a year into living there, I started, I thought, well, I'll dip my toe into this university thing. And I did an honors degree in political science. Oh, oh wow. not even, not why even no. political science? Because... Uh, uh, I have those thoughts. Like I, I think, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. a news guy. Like I read the news mm-hmm. every day. Like I, I wanted to exercise that part of my brain, and mm-hmm. I thought that's the that's the thing I don't. I'm already making films, so the thing I don't have access to is to exercise this area of my brain. So mm-hmm. I want to do that, and then I couldn't quite keep away from film, so I did uh, film studies as a minor. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, I probably just should have done a BFA in film production because I think it gives certain advantages. Um, but uh, but I loved my degree. Like I, I had a great time. And yeah. yeah. You, was it Concordia? It or was Concordia. It? Okay. And then I went straight from Concordia into a master's in film production at York University because I already then had a portfolio of right. my own work. I yeah. had done a minor in film studies. I'd done well academically yeah. in poli-sci, so it was like I got in. Did you have to take any like – prerequisite film classes for your 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 masters because i know sometimes if your undergraduate is not yeah and directly related to that um particular degree program they want you to take like these prerequisite classes yeah before you can get into the real nitty-gritty of the the film program for sure i mean with me again i i had a portfolio at this point i had made a few films that had Mm -hmm. got into festivals despite the odds 
being a nobody basically mm -hmm. having bizarrely written and directed and edited and produced and shot and like and somehow they were good and they mm -hmm. were getting in places but yet i wasn't in the industry so it was like yeah they I, I guess they were happy to take me and is that why you said the bfa would have been better or no for for me there's a few advantages to a bfa i think and one of them is that you do make a cohort you have classmates that are all involved in the same thing and you leave a bfa with a whole bunch of people you know that are also trying to get into the industry that all have good technical skills because mm -hmm. you get more of a technical background in a bfa mm -hmm. you can make stuff together and like you know the roles on a set and you're kind of ready to roll i think um mm -hmm. So you so when, before even though you're doing your own short films, you didn't have a lot of knowledge in those areas where it came to who's on the set, how many people you need on a set, assistant director, direct AD. Some of the, some stuff. of those, yeah, you could throw titles at me and I wouldn't know them because I was effectively wearing every single hat, and I d I didn't even know how to disassociate certain roles from other mm -hmm. roles. Like you go to a large set and there's like there's a line producer and there's a this and mm -hmm. that. You know, mm -hmm. I was all those things at once, so I don't even know how you would normally delineate that stuff. Mm. So, after the MFA, so you did the two two and a half years. Yeah. At, at uh, York. York. Yeah. And then after that, we just doing more short films again, or we get or did was there some like okay now I should probably go into this area, and I know you were doing some teaching and stuff like that. Like how did all of that come about? Yeah. So so an MFA for film production is a terminal degree there's like no PhD for making films there's PhD for studying them so if you want to be like a film studies prof you pretty much need to get a PhD but for teaching that's another reason that people actually take an MFA is that they want to be able to teach in that studio art discipline um, mine being film so I you, you do TA a little bit like that uh, under other professors and kind of you know get your feet wet um in, in terms of teaching and then so after i finished i had had my thesis film which was a, a pretty hefty thesis film mm -hmm. that i've had to try and get out there to uh, film festivals as well and it's done a couple but it's it's really a long film so it's hard to <laughs> hard to get programmed but is this the two uh, what's this one called <clears throat> four hours um <laughs> it's it's called my thesis film a thesis film by eric anderson okay it was very yeah literal gotcha, and gotcha. reflexive <laughs> at the same time yeah which do you have that hidden somewhere because of course was, i do <laughs> yeah, of course i yeah. do because yeah. i couldn't find it at what i've seen there was you know what's funny is i um I don't, did i send this to you i think i sent it to you i read there was an actual review on your film yeah yeah and, and i don't know who I wrote the review and, and saw the trailer but have not seen the actual okay movie. the yeah. globe and mail one yeah globe yeah. And mail. Yeah, yeah 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 exactly so did they did somebody reach out to you and say, hey, we're, we're... No, I... That was because I was uh, screening it and screening Montreal for a week in December. Mm. And so if it's screening in the country, then they can review it, basically, mm. for their film section. And uh, Did you read the review of... I did. I I held out for uh, as long about <laughs> as long as I could. <laughs> you know, it's funny because friends and colleagues get more excited almost than... Uh, that's... A, like everyone's like oh it's really good it's really good read it read it read it and i was like no but i'm sensitive like what if there's something <laughs> something in there i don't like and uh i i tried to hold out but eventually i read it because i wanted to also thank the guy for yeah. taking the time to review it because it's still like a little nobody film but yeah 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 so did you like his review did you did you did you feel the review gave it justice 
to, to hear. Oh, man, <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble with so many people today. Uh, I, I thought it was, you don't have to answer if you. Think. I thought it was all right. I mean, I I really appreciated appreciated him taking the time to to review it, and I thought that I'm glad he picked up on on certain things about it. I I thought that uh, you know it's it's still ultimately down to taste a little bit and mm. i felt like he appreciated and liked the film but it, i don't feel like he loved it so of course <laughs> i would have loved if he loved it uh-huh. you know sort of thing but but everyone else seems to really think it's top shelf review yeah. so that's good well, well, how long did it take you to make this four hour feature length uh, uh film? i had to make it piecemeal because i didn't get any funding extra right. funding so uh, there's a few sort of funding streams in an mfa that are open to students and i conspicuously did not get those and so i was like okay well going out of pocket again and mm. i don't and i knew i wanted to do something fairly ambitious because there's certain certain things about making the film at at university <clears throat> that i wanted to exploit one of which which is kind of a canadian film industry thing is that york for example has this amazing deal with actra so actra is the actors union in right. canada mm-hmm. for those who don't know and um it's it's a pretty rigid uh union and it, it's difficult to sort of to deal with some of their their codes and one of them is that you can't have uh actra actors and non-actra actors in a production together and wow. for someone that's trying to just start out and make film that's really tough because mm-hmm. if you let's say you want to shoot something that's personal and for like no money and you you know a couple of good actors and they're an actor and you also want to put your mom in it you can't do that wow. so I, I don't want to gripe too much because i'm also in actress so i'm gonna get in trouble <laughs> with them too but um it's it's tricky but york has a, a swing agreement with them where for student films you can use both union and non-union actors and this basically does not exist outside of academia so it's like i I happen to know a few really good actors who are in the union i'm making something really personal and sort of based on my own experience so i i wanted certain friends that were just fellow students i wanted them in the movie Uh so i wanted to mix and match and i i knew just like i'll never have this opportunity again Mm. i'm going to use it to its 10th degree and um yeah, just make the most ambitious film I can despite having no money, mm-hmm. basically. So the movie is four hours? Yes. How? Di- wow, how long did it take to put that together? <coughs> like, four hours is, I mean, we were just talking the other day about how, you know, you get an hour TV show mm-hmm. that takes at least several hours of, like, filming, setup, editing, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, how long did it take you? It, it, it I had to do it piecemeal because... So one thing about if you're like a no budget filmmaker like myself and you're not getting like federal grants or right. subsidies, uh, the roles on a film set really get flipped mm. in terms of power. Because if you are a producer that are that can pay people, then people have a job to do and they need yeah. to show up and they yeah. need to do it. If you have no money yeah. and I need Redmond to come and, and be an extra in my film or something yeah. like that, then I need to shoot when Redmond says yeah it's time to shoot because you're doing me a favor right right and you say listen dude all i got is friday night between this hour and this hour so if you want me you got to get it shot and that and all of a sudden you have zero control and power and you're just so i had to shoot it piecemeal over like 
maybe eight or nine months and it was wow. like it was like when wow. people said jump i had to say how high like and wow. and so it'd be like a weekend when scott says you know Easy i can do it this weekend so it's like i then i would have to scramble try yeah. and get a camera try and get the other people like so it makes it much more difficult it's incredible it, yeah. yeah not having money is the hardest thing in film so Sorry. what do you, what do you think about like you know all the the rise of kind of youtubers and like self content creator type people now where it's like very low production value and um you're kind of the focus is more on the story and you're kind of developing a character does that type of stuff interest you at all or um i i'm still i guess i'm in an in-between generation that I still have like a foot in the old generation, you know, and right. I still romanticize. I still romanticize about film festivals and I love the cinema experience of going to a cinema. I still, right. I still just love it. Uh-huh. I think it's great that people, there are more ways. I mean, the great thing about the internet is that it's democratizing, right? That everyone can have their voice and like the mm-hmm. camera and your computer and you can just say what you want. And I'm getting a haircut today and yeah. question of the day, do you like haircuts? Yeah. And you can like just get it out there to as many yeah. people as you can. That's great. And I think the Canadian industry is grappling with how to deal with people that make their own content as it becomes more normalized. Because What do you it, mean by that? Um, well, one thing is is like again it is the thing to do with unions right so um i think what actra then has to deal with for example is like people want to just make stuff like they're they're now kind of game for just making stuff and putting stuff out there and well you actually can't just do that if you're in a union you have to like have specific agreements again so i think that, that the canadian industry is figuring out how to they want to bring in talented people that are putting stuff out uh, on the internet themselves, but you're having to bring them in under their set of guidelines and that they, people that are, that grow up with the internet and just being able to like spit out whatever they want. Right. It mm. doesn't work that way. And so the, there's, I don't know, a give and take that, that needs to happen, but it's, uh, I don't know. I think the process has been worked through. Maybe. Yeah. 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 So I've seen some of your short films. I think we both, you've seen yeah, them. Yeah, I've watched a couple of them. Okay. Um, one of my favorites is The Hemsworth. Thank you. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But how long is the process to do a short film compared to a feature film? It's, uh, it's, it? it's really to scale. It, it it's takes, to scale. It, it, the Hemsworth, for example, didn't take too long because it was one camera tripod. I had my friend hit record and I was, obviously in it three times so yeah, it was so just me cutting me so that took just a few days really but but with that right when you shoot something mm-hmm. like that are you shooting your whole when it's just you and there's but there's three characters yeah are you shooting um just your the lines of that one character and then setting up the camera and then doing it again yeah and so it's all kind of like just one take type of thing yes. and then you cut it yeah okay. so the hemsworth that's how i did it i i would set up like a, I'd pick an eye line for where effectively I'd be looking at myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I would roll through one character's lines, do as many takes as I felt I needed. I stop and start. And if I forgot, I'd pick them up and just look and just, okay. And keep, keep mm-hmm. rolling. And, and then I would switch costume and go to the next character and, and so on. So how long did it take you to film that? Just those, what, is this Afternoon. the one? Like, really? It's like, it's like three hours maybe. That did, one, that one was quick. Did it take you like? Was it ever discouraging to you in the beginning? You know, realizing 
Because when we watch a movie, we see just the final edited yeah. perfect take and right. when you actually have to do it there's so much like just sucking yeah and doing no <laughs> yeah. man it's terrible yeah. it feels yeah. terrible yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure you were never like discouraged by that and no no i, I i'm pretty driven by how i feel it should be when you see it at the end so right. uh, you just you're just pushing through the process to like get it there and you like all the parts of it, like editing, sound design. And... No, I hate all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually kind of do. It's like okay. a lot of it is really tedious. Like yeah. editing, especially again, when you're not part of a team, you're not in the studio system, you're not getting yeah. paid. Like it's a lot of self-motivation. Yeah. 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 Sitting at home, like this past week, I'm working on a short and like kind of being no friendo just like <laughs> sitting in spending all your free time at night just like kind of cutting and cutting and going over little details of yeah. sound and like it's it's not fun you go a little stir crazy but yeah. um that's yeah. comforting to hear yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and and i feel like sometimes there's there's joyous things about the filming process but also for someone like myself that writes everything and, and like i see it in my head uh-huh. as i'm writing it right. like i know how what i want it to be usually the actual process of filming is just diminishing returns like you're yeah. you're just trying to make it as good yeah. as it already is in your head right, right. And, and so many things can go wrong and are fighting against you yeah. all day long you have yeah. an actor with attitude you have it's not supposed to rain today and now it's raining you have <laughs> yeah. like all these things that are just essentially like making this perfect thing in your brain worse yeah, yeah. yeah. i feel yeah. like a lot of people look at films like oh all these collaborative elements we just we pushed it up to make the thing better and what it is it's like yeah, no yeah. everything's working to pull something down uh, and you're yeah. just trying to like get it get as it good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i i once saw hitchcock and i i really resonated with me and they're like oh what do you like most about the filming process he's like nothing i like the <laughs> conception and i like the finished product yeah the yeah, middle every- is really hard yeah. yeah yeah so so then i guess one of my questions i have here is what's your favorite thing about being a filmmaker <laughs> that was the, I, I, the beginning I, and the end <laughs> the beginning and the end of the process the journey is terrible <laughs> the, the destination you. is amazing <laughs> the conception is fun like thinking through ideas uh when you're starting out with a project but i do like one thing that's good on set is if you have good actors and they've read the script and they just knock it out of the park. I mean, mm. that's really sad. I think that's a specific writer-director thing, like the words that you've written, and they just make them sing all day long. Mm. Oh, that's really nice. Mm. And then festivals are fun. The When you do get in, you do go generally, you're meeting up with people that have the same fixation you do, which is mm. film, and they're nerds, and <laughs> you just you go and watch as many films as you can during the day, and you appreciate other people's work and then you go for drinks at night with like-minded people that that's really fun so when you go to these film festivals and you, and you see all of these um movies what's that experience like to like <laughs> do you have to pay so you pay for your let's say you pay you pay to enter your film into a film festival yes you get that film in the film festival mm-hmm. do you have to pay now to attend the film festival as well it depends so if it's a big festival um well, like ones that I haven't got into, like Can or something like that, mm-hmm. you're going to get your travel paid for. Okay. Nice. So Telefilm in Canada will probably, especially if it's Can specifically, they'll get you there probably and put you up in a hotel because you are now a cultural product of our country, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to show that there's, they also want to show that they're supporting you mm-hmm. and show that they have, because that's them putting their hand in the pot as well and mm-hmm. saying, see how much of a success we are as mm-hmm. an entity within the Canadian system. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for smaller ones, they're not going to fly you there. They're not going to. Sometimes there's been one. I got into one in Portland. Uh, this is like in 2014. And I got my own flight there. And luckily, a friend was dating a girl that was an uh, that worked for the airline. So we got some sort of buddy pass. So I got like round trip 200, which is fantastic or nice, something like yeah. that. But then the festival, so they couldn't fly me there, but they did put me up in a hotel in downtown Portland. And that was awesome. Nice. That was like, I can't ask for more than that. That was great. <laughs> um, so sometimes they'll do one or the other if it's depending on the size of the festival. And sometimes they do nothing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we can't get you there and we can't put you up, but we're happy if you're here and we'll buy you a drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so being a filmmaker yeah. um, yourself in the industry, do you... Do you, the films you see that aren't yours, do you rate them differently? Are you more harshly? And do you watch them as a fan or do you watch them as a filmmaker? And is it hard to like not have both hats on at the same time while watching? I think I, I think I, I try and go in like everyone else. I, I watch them pretty unconsciously. I want to be open and, and whether I like something or not. But maybe I might get, I probably just get triggered a little bit more easily in terms of formula in particular things that i've seen too many times are like uh this is starting to grade at me like i think i'm just out a little bit faster with mm-hmm. certain films than than most people mm-hmm. Do you, yeah. i feel like because the reason i ask for myself now when i've learned more about film my brain is always like oh i wonder how they made that shot yeah or how they yeah the lighting is is like perfect for this and, and stuff like that like and i feel like sometimes now since i know a little bit about the background film i can't turn it off yeah like my brain is always like trying to break down how things were done while watching this film i i th- there's certain things especially when they're on the more gimmicky side that they'll that it's hard to turn that off mm-hmm. i i went to 1917 last night and i uh. went uh i went with a, a buddy who's not in film mm-hmm. And so he was asking me after, he's just like, so how did they do some of those? Cause like I was picking up all the time. It's like, that's a cut. That's a cut. Cause mm-hmm. it's supposed to look like two long shots, basically mm-hmm. the entire film. Oh really? Yeah. It's supposed to be okay. broken into two basically, but they're doing certain Birdman type things. So you do a pan across a wall, you're cutting there. There's a guy that goes behind a rock. It's perfect time to cut, you know, like mm. there's certain things that they're just then stitching together like that. So, that stuff I can tell, and, and my brain doesn't turn off about those. Like I'm, I'm pretty aware. Yeah. Uh-huh. So let's talk about the history of film a little bit. Okay. Uh, a brief cinematic history. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> where, where would the birth of film be, basically, for those that don't know? Like, so with any major uh, uh, advent or invention, there's usually a few people working on the same thing at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Like Edison, we all know Edison and Tesla were working on mm-hmm. dealing with electricity and light bulb and stuff like that at the same time. Um, Edison, of course, was involved with early film as well. He had this mm-hmm. this huge box that would rotate. I think it was called like the Black Mariah or something. And it was almost like you would go in and stand in it. And I think you could kind of watch something that had been filmed through a little like peephole or something like that. And they would try and shoot in this thing as well. So there's for about 10 years or so there's people working on making motion pictures. But the stock hadn't really come together like a lot of the conventions hadn't been set up. The most important thing, I guess, the the easiest date to say this is the birth of cinema is when it's projected. Mm-hmm. So the Lumiere brothers, they make a camera that can also project it. 
And so in 1895, in like, maybe it was maybe like Boxing Day in Paris, they projected something they'd shot onto a wall. Mm. And so that's the easiest sort of date because before then you have, you know, a few different characters in France and in Britain and the United States all trying to do this, but they can't really project it yet. Mm. I know there's, um, there's different eras of film. We're yeah. not going to get too much into that. Okay. <laughs> but... You have the Luminaire brothers. They kind of display it, the beginnings of the display. So then yeah. after that, who's the person that takes that, creates something else, and then now we have a new era of how film is done? Um, I, I think like there's certain little things that, that, that um, there's these certain benchmarks. Like there's this guy, Méliès, who makes a trip to the moon, and probably everyone's mm. seen the image of like the... The bullet in the eye. Yeah, the bullet in the eye, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but he sort of started to make trick shots because very quickly they figured out, well, if you stop the camera and then move a character literally off screen and then start the camera again, it looks like they've disappeared. And they're just starting to like figure this out as they go along. And then in the early 1900s, like you, you start to get close-ups and the idea that you can just like cut in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in, in the teens, you start to get features. And I guess one of the... the major filmmakers that sort of and he's infamous to some extent um is dw griffith and and he starts to make these features that essentially are laying the template for the classical cutting of hollywood so now they've figured out by this point he's kind of got all the elements you do a master shot and then you start cutting into medium shots and close-ups of your actors you can also do POVs. You know that they've figured out that if you have a shot of Redmond and then you shoot, you know, a shot of an iceberg and then go back to Redmond, that means Redmond's looking at the iceberg and right. like right. that. But that's a it's a paradigm, right? It's mm-hmm. like this mental leap that, that had to that had to be made. But but then so he sort of these elements were all at play and he sort of put them together in a way that it's maybe a little primitive to our viewing right now and unsophisticated but at the same time the template is sort of laid by the mm. mid-teens but then he's also very infamous because he made like a film called um birth of a nation in the states yes which is a famously racist, racist film won an oscar i think it won best picture actually did it um i, yeah. d- well, I didn't even know the maybe the Os- i'm not sure the oscars were even a thing yet were, were they? they not i thought i i think i've heard that that movie actually won an oscar for Wow. Um, but I don't know if you do you know anything about it here? I'm not gonna agree to this man sounds like <laughs> you're out there on a limb here. Well I guess I guess like if you could just give a premise of what the movie is about. I haven't even seen the full movie. I really? think I think that it's um I think it has the KKK in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it it shows it, it depicts black people as stupid. Yeah. And then I think maybe maybe it gets into old tropes of like black people menacing white women or something like mm-hmm. and so the kkk huh. saves the day or something pretty much something yeah. like that i haven't seen the movie either, okay what's yeah. the movie called so everyone birth of the nation okay birth of the nation and then so that was referenced by nate parker who's mm-hmm. an african-american film director a few years ago uh, nate parker made a film called birth of a nation and which got into sundance and did very which was about a slave uprising so he was kind of reclaiming that that title and sort of spinning on that from history yeah yeah it was I've never seen a movie, but I have seen 
clips. It's like a part of film history. Like okay, you know, it's so, yeah, part so. of like a. Amer- it's unfortunately like a part of American American history. Yeah, as film well. history. Yeah. Well, so uh, I'm gonna Google that and figure it out just really quickly. But um, so with all of these, there's I don't I don't remember if I was supposed to take this question out. I thought I did, but would you say there's an era of film because you have German expressionism? Yeah, you have. Um, some other eras that I can't remember right now, but would you say there's a particular film era like of those categories that pretty much define what film is or how film is shot today? Like that, that's the one where we took with, would it be the beginning Hollywood like in America? Because Hollywood wasn't even, they weren't the big filmmakers in the, the beginning. It was really this France, I would say, right? Well, the studio system c- comes about in Hollywood in the teens. In That's teens, yes. Yeah. And um, and Chaplin, of course, was British, but he yeah. came over to the States, and he was an early sort of auteur that was like writing and directing. And even though sound couldn't be affixed to film, he was still composing scores that he wanted played along to his films. So he's kind of doing everything. And then he set up with Mary Pickford and D.W. Griffith and someone else, I think, uh, United Artists. So they sort of formed their own studio as well for these independent uh, producers. But that era, like, I mean, I, I, again, there's a huge change when sound comes in. Right. Sound comes in sort of 27 and gets used more. Then you start to build sound stages. That's why they're called sound stages because you, you didn't really film – outdoors because there's too much that would interfere with the sound so right. you, you had to start making these huge sets and you would also uh the cameras made a lot of sound as well and they're really mm-hmm. bulky so they started to put these blimps around the cameras like these tanks around the camera so that they would be quieter so you could record sound on set but sound then also changes acting because before sound you have someone like Chaplin who's a silent films right he's a pantomimist Mm -hmm. right like he's he's uh, a mime and he's doing things very big and bold so that that we can laugh at gestures and understand understand expression through gestures but then when you get sound in the late 30s especially you start to have people like Howard Hawks who makes like My Girl Friday with Cary Grant and it's really snappy dialogue. And all of a sudden, you don't have a lot of action. You can have two people just sort of sitting as opposed to having old intertitles where it cuts to black and it says, he's running this horse or, you know, like whatever. <laughs> you can have just two people talking and then humor just comes out of dialogue and just people being snappy. And mm. that changes then acting style as well because right. it can be smaller and it can just be more witty. Right, because there was a, wasn't there a big actor who did a lot of silent films and then sound came and they did um speaking part and it just didn't work for them i can't remember what i'm sure that i i'm not, i'm blanking on who that might be though though someone like chaplin was also afraid of sound yeah. he 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 there's a great quote where he says like in my field uh, I was a master. I was a pantomimist, and this is like the scariest. He would thing have had to learn possible. a new, new yeah. thing, basically. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to yeah. do sound. So, are there any in- filmmakers, dead or alive, that inspire you? Inspire a lot of your work to uh, day? Not my work. I don't try and make anything like other. F- I wouldn't want to. I don't want to try and copy mm-hmm. or make anything. I use it for mainly personal expression. Um, but I, 
I love the films of like Ingmar Bergman, who's a Swedish filmmaker, dead Swedish filmmaker, who made a number of masterpieces like Fanny and Alexander and Cries and Whispers and Persona and uh, Scenes from a Marriage. And uh, another cult- uh, controversial figure, uh, but Woody Allen. I mean, yeah. it's hard not if if you like film. It, it, he's he's tricky. He's a tricky yeah, character. Yeah, like, yeah. He's made an enormous amount of good films. Like. Yeah people forget just the quantity mm-hmm. like we're talking about someone who's made over like 50 features and like half of them are really good like yeah. who can yeah. say that nobody can say that i remember i seen one once just randomly i think um it's a turner classic movies yeah turner classic movies, which is a great channel for for classic movies yeah um there was one it's like a future comedy he's like in the future and he wakes up and there's like all these robots and stuff and I forgot the name of the movie. Yeah, maybe that's Z-League or something like that. I think that might be it. But yeah. it was hilarious. And I watched this in, like, this had to be 2017. And this was, yeah. like, in the 80s. And I was like, wow, some of this stuff, it stands up, you yeah. know, even to this day. Oh, which yeah, is very sure. hard to do because there's some movies I watch now that I love years ago. And you're like, mm, doesn't doesn't hold strong anymore, you yeah. know, especially with, like, when there's certain references to certain things. And you're like, oh, damn. They didn't have cell phones then. Yeah. It doesn't hold up now, right? <laughs> it's like something that simple yeah. is like now it doesn't hold up because they didn't have cell phones because when you – sometimes I watch these movies. I can't remember what I was watching previously, but it was like – I'm just like, why won't you just call that person? <laughs> and it's like, oh, right. No no cell phones, you know? Yeah. And so like – or even now where you see movies where they did have cell phones, but it's like the flip phones and you're like nobody uses those anymore. So like it, it's changed a lot. Yeah. But – yeah, I would say I like some of Woody Allen's work as well. Yeah, not to be controversial. I don't know if I'm gonna have to take this out of my. Well, you don't have to take it out. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to address it. You're allowed to have an opinion. Yeah, we're yeah. You never know. You never know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you allowed to have an opinion? <laughs> yeah. So long as it's the right opinion. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, there are there are many different film dramas do you have a particular drama that you would categorize your work in or is it just like no, I, no. i'm not a particular genre guy i know that there's a lot of people they love their horror and they love and there's filmmakers that want to work within certain spaces like uh, jordan peele's working within horror right mm-hmm. and, and doing cool things with with that but i i he did get out right and get out and us. get out and us and <sighs> he's got some other tv show at, it's actually isn't c one of his shows or something? Is that, is that the so. one that you're on, Harris? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to uh, tell us about that experience? Oh, yeah. I'll tell you all about it. Get sued to, to I have <laughs> All the behind-the-scenes uh, stuff. All the yeah. NDA stuff. Please. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, he's um, – which is interesting. He's he, – I, I like Jordan Peele a lot. Um, I had some issues with us, though. I haven't seen us. You haven't seen us? I haven't us. seen us either. I know about you. There's, like, all the pronouns now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> one for every, one movie for every. You yeah. is a completely different concept. It's also yeah. kind of horror-y, no? Um, n- no, okay. I wouldn't say it's horror-y. I, I I couldn't get into it. It's some stuff like it's basically about this guy. You should don't ruin it for people. It's basically about this guy. He's gonna do it. I'm gonna ruin <laughs> it. It's been out for like some time. If you yeah. haven't binge watched it yet, then you know. Yeah. yeah. But this guy is basically obsessed with this woman and he kind of like stalks her yeah but he's also like making himself seem like like a nice guy for her as well it's like in person he's like really nice really sweet to her all these other things but behind the scenes he's like following her he like 
dubbed her um, text messages, her phone somehow, and like reads all her messages. And I think there's a point where she, he killed her boyfriend or something or something like that. I, yeah. I, have, I actually I have help. not seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. help. Yes. I just know it exists. So don't watch it. But the thing I wanted to say about Jordan Pill was it was interesting that he came out with Get Out because it was a complete total opposite from what we knew him as, which was like the guy, I think he was on Mad TV, and it was... Um, but I see, I beg to differ. Cause really? I think Keen Peel has... Because I really like Key and Peele. I like a lot of their sketches. And some are just straight up funny. But some have a weird dark edge twist. Mm. And even some of those sketches, like, they go into almost sci-fi territory or surreal territory. And that now f- feels very clear that that's Peele's interest. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, yeah. Yeah, because I think... Um, what's the other guy's name? I can't even remember his name. Uh, Michael Keegan Key. Key, yeah. Key. He's... Um, and I find that that show made them both very big. Like, mm-hmm. they're both still very relevant. Yeah. And um, the other guy has been in a lot of movies Yeah. recently. Some action. I think he was in a Predator movie as well. But for me, I guess I didn't watch a lot of Key and Peele because I didn't have cable. But the sketches I did see that YouTube allows us to see because sometimes you get i don't know if you ever watch youtube you get and firewalled by the states yeah it's like this is not allowed to yeah. see in this in this mm. country yeah which is happens a lot with canada that's a whole other issue yeah but um when get out came i was like pleasantly surprised and when he won the oscar for um original screenplay yeah i was like wow that was a that was a big moment because i didn't expect like I wouldn't have expected him to come from this guy that's doing all these comedy sketches on Key and Peele, and he was he was on Matt. They were both on Matt. Yeah, TV, they were. I think, I think that's where. They, yeah. And um, then now he does Get Out, and then he does Us. I wasn't a big fan of Us, yeah. but it's it, it's starting to show that you don't have to just be in a particular. Like I feel like we like to categorize, like which is I think is great that you don't categorize your work into one genre because that's what we like to do with performers in general. It's like. Oh, this person is like their only drama. Or I think that's only- changing though, right? Because people want to express different things as their creativity evolves. Like, I imagine you get bored. Like, it's like you know, you've been doing comedy this whole time. I, I imagine at some point it just becomes second nature, and you're like, yeah. "All right, like, what the hell am I gonna do to keep yeah. myself going?" Yeah, there's famously been, uh, I guess, difficulty with like comedic actors getting like dramatic mm-hmm. credit. Mm-hmm. Well, I've Uncut Gems, he just did that now with yeah. uh, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Yeah. Did you see, yeah. Have you seen it? Yet? I watched it finally. Yeah. Have you seen Uncut Gems? I think it's great. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, I was surprised a bit. But I'm always surprised by Adam Sandler in general, though. Because see, I think that's all most people are surprised. <laughs> I don't understand because he was so good in Punch Drunk Love and he's been good every see, time. See, I he hated does. Punch Drunk Love. Okay. I, you, yeah. thought he, you thought he wasn't good in it, though? I just didn't understand the movie. Okay. Mm. I just I just felt like. I mean, I probably would have to watch it again, but when I watched it, I was just, I don't know what's happening. This guy is screaming, going off. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in that movie, right? Adam Sandler yeah. screaming? He's yeah. always fucking screaming. Yeah. 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 That's, that's his thing. <laughs> but he was like really screaming in that one, though. Uh, he's, and, yeah, okay. Yeah. Really? Well, he had anger issues. Yeah, anger yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah. And then it just kind of ends, and I didn't feel like anything was resolved, so I was like very confused as to what the movie was about. Mind you, I've seen it. I want to say maybe it was almost 10 years ago, though. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty... Give it another go. I think it's a good film. I, I would definitely give it another try, but I was just like, mm, I don't know. And I, to jump movie people now from Adam Sandler, 
I know people love Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That's a good movie, man. Thought it was overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Thought it was overrated. I don't think it's... And I think we've had this conversation before that I think you said you think it's one of Quentin Tarantino's best. I think it's his best. Song. I yeah. don't but think it's his best. Yeah, fair. I, what do you think is his best? I really liked Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, that's good. I would say Inglorious Bastards is one of his better ones. Yeah. Um, and Kill Bill was good. I really liked that's Volume 1. That's three movies, though. Is it three or two? No, it's, it's two. two. Yeah, two. It's bad. two. Um, the first one was really good. The second one was just kind of like, eh, you know, like, didn't really need it. You know, I would have been okay with just the first one. And, yeah. And so I, I'm very picky with a lot of, <laughs> yeah, like, film work sometimes, you know. And I, I feel like I don't, I don't even have, like, any authority to be picky about. Or What do you mean? Is you're allowed, you're allowed to have an consumer's, opinion. <laughs> yeah. <a> consumer's <laughs> art. But I mean, I, and, and, and that's I, what genres are for, really, is for the consumer. Like, the idea that, that you need to put something in a genre it's really for the receiver so that they have certain expectations of what a film is. I remember uh, two, three years ago, I really loved this film called Personal Shopper, and it's by this uh, film director, French guy, uh, Olivier Assayez. Mm -hmm. And and Kirsten Kirsten Stewart was in it, and she's really, really good in it. And um, But it's set in Europe, and I thought it was just fantastic and super original and like unlike anything I'd seen I thought this thing's a masterpiece and then you know you can go to like Toronto Cinema Clock to like mm. see what, what's, what the listings are for film and people can do reviews and the reviews for the film weren't that great it was like averaging 6.2 or something like that mm. I was like what the heck so I looked at some of the reviews and one thing that was interesting that kept on coming up was, was people said I was expecting a suspense film like they'd been mad like they had been given an original piece of art (laughs) with original ideas and that pissed them off so much that they went online to say i had different expectations and that's what genres are for people right like it's like going to a pop machine you're like i want a coke and then the thing comes out and you taste it and it's orange crust you're like this is not the thing i wanted (laughs) Uh well Art's not supposed to be the yeah, thing yeah, you yeah. wanted. Like you're supposed to like originality. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. but that's yeah. People, their expectations, they want those met. Yeah. So, do you think categorizing films can sometimes, f- based on your example, hurt the art of the film sometimes, or people's not the art, but like people's interpretation of the movie? Sure. I, I think when people when films stray too far from formula, because those people were effectively saying they were expecting a certain formula that they've mm. seen a thousand times and that's what they wanted but you mm. never feel the pressure to bend to a certain formula then it sounds uh, like no uh no i i've been a bit of a rogue on it be, but at this point i'm not going to stop <laughs> I'm just so then, with making. the formula how do you feel about as a filmmaker about the three-act structure is it um uh, okay, I would I would say that like maybe explain I the three act structure okay, just so for everybody that doesn't know. I can't explain it. Not me. Very I know. Well. If you can explain <laughs> it, actually, <laughs> that, well, I, a lot of stories have a, a three act structure, so you have a beginning and a middle and an end. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of movies are based on sort of uh, a ninety minute structure, and so you can easily break that into three uh, thirty minute segments. So, and film kind of gets even more the science of film and how that plays to audiences and how they make it within the studio system. Generally, even in your first 10 minutes, you have in a setup. Incident. Yeah. 
you have your status quo. So mm-hmm. we meet the protagonist immediately who we're going to identify with. Mm-hmm. And you'll see life is good or what it's like at the moment. It's status quo. Mm-hmm. And then within the first 10 minutes, you, you bring in a problem. Mm-hmm. And within the first 30 minutes, you're sort of getting the scale of the magnitude of the problem and the protagonist starts to get involved. Generally at 30 minutes, the protagonist then has to really get engaged. The next section of the film is the protagonist getting engaged with with the problem and trying to fix it or whatever. And then the end is, of course, the resolution and conclusion and everyone's happy. But Mm. uh, that's sort of a basic structure to... Mm -hmm. To any film, action film to any, to any yeah. like that's how they work yeah so is that structure do you because fi- i'm finding that a lot of filmmakers are not against the structure but not trying to just be that formulaic yeah with their their films and uh, some i mean we just talked about quentin tarantino i would say a lot of his movies don't usually follow a three-act straight yeah. three-act structure well yeah i mean pulp fiction pulp directly, directly played with it because it, it made something non-linear so it kept on chopping up and moving around yeah. certain areas of the film so i'm wondering if if people if some filmmakers are like okay and i understand the three-act structure is important for a basic mm-hmm. for a basis of like how to create a script or something mm-hmm. like that but like when you get into the art part of it like can that affect the art of the film sometimes if you always are just following that three-act structure. Sure. I mean, again, I, I think for a lot of audiences out there, maybe the mainstream audience, the more you stray from the structure, mm-hmm. the more uncomfortable it is for them and the more they often, like, I'm lost here. I don't know what this is and why is it mm-hmm. not working the same way as other films. Yeah. Um, like with you and Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, but you gotta test. I mean, I I like films that test and try and, and yeah, uh, yeah, stray. And some movies are really good with the three act structure. Like a movie you can tell that I love, that has the basic three act structure, is um, Moonlight. Yep. Because Moonlight starts off, he's a young yep. kid. Okay. Then the next act is, okay, this is the second act. He's a um, teenager, mm-hmm. and then the third act is he's an adult. And it it kind of like what's what I liked about that movie. It kind of signals when. Um, the act is changing. You know, the screen goes kind of black and there's like lights or whatever. Yeah. Whereas a lot of times you can't tell if the, if it's gone into yeah. the next act. Sometimes I've heard that sometimes the inciting incident is, a hap- is supposed to happen 10 minutes in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it does not. Or yeah. sometimes, I don't know if it can happen in the second act, but ju- which is which would be too crazy, I would think. But <laughs> I mean, there's, there's certain, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I firstly, I'll just say that, yeah, Moonlight is a great example because it's so broken into three. It's yeah. so clear what's happening in mm-hmm. terms of the trajectory because it's basically a, a fictitious biopic, right? Focusing on the romance right. of, of of the protagonist and uh, his love from high school. But um, but there's certain even certain major filmmakers. One of the most famous films ever is Psycho. And mm-hmm. one thing that makes Psycho stand out is that Hitchcock kills off the protagonist yeah. early. Yeah. That is totally unusual. Yeah. And that made that film kind of formally interesting beyond just the cutting, how he did the shower scene and stuff like that, which was a bit radical at the time. But yeah. um, but killing off the protagonist, like leading you so far down misdirection yeah. uh, is unusual. I've I seen the remake of that. I don't think I've ever seen the original. Oh, really? With... Um, 
Vince Vaughn. Yeah, they did like a Hated shot it. for shot or something. <laughs> Hated like, it why? so much. I haven't Hated seen it. it. Even like a lot of the camera tricks, you know, like I know we've all seen a movie where they're driving in a car and it's like, yeah, they're not really moving. <laughs> it's just like they're like <laughs> bouncing up and down and stuff. And there was a scene like that in Psycho. And then they pretty much replicated that same scene. And I the thought remake. they were, yeah, they were, I thought they were doing like a shot for shot remake or something yeah, like it was, that. It was a shot for shot remake. And it was interesting to me. I, I didn't expect to see Vince Vaughn because Vince Vaughn is one of those guys where I feel like now he's trying to be more like serious, more serious roles. But he, he's always been that guy for me that's just like, he's probably in a comedy. Like He was in Jurassic Park a while ago. Oh, was he? Yeah. Jurassic yeah. Park? He's in the second one, The Lost World. He got that out of Swingers. So, okay. so with, uh, Swingers had come out with John Favreau. Right. And and Spielberg saw it. And I guess Spielberg I don't think he directed the second one, but he was probably executive yeah. producer yeah. and said it's like you. Yeah. It's so like getting wh- drafted. Basically. So wait, this is not the Chris Pratt ones. No, 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 no. 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 This is the ones with Jeff Goldblum. This and one had Jeff Goldblum in it, yeah. And who's the other guy? Um, Sam Neill. He's Sam not in Neal. the second one, though. He's no. not? No. He's in the third one, though. Yeah. I don't remember Vince Vaughn in the second one. I swear. <laughs> He's there, man. <laughs> Young pros talk <laughs> Jurassic Park, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember him in the Trust second one. Who, who was he in the second one? Oh, God. Wait, man, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like 1997. Like, he doesn't remember. believe us. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of which character this was, you know? Like, I don't remember seeing He's him. He's the guy dating Julianne Moore. No, wait. Fuck. No, Is Julianne wait. Moore in no, his no. movie, too? You remember when they fall out of the the cliff and he grabs the backpack? And he's like, not the backpack. <laughs> 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 Uh, no. Can you recreate the whole movie <laughs> yeah. right now? <laughs> I don't remember. I'm trying to help. <laughs> not the backpack. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move on from that. That should be the log line. Yeah. <laughs> not the backpack. Yeah. So let's switch gears and talk. Uh, okay. A little bit about the Canadian film industry. Like sure. What's the Canadian film it's, industry? It's, it's a can of worms. <laughs> uh, well, we talked a little bit about yeah. a- actors' union. Um, the Canadian, the one thing, it's a double-edged sword. An incredible thing about Canada is that basically all the films here are made by Canada. They're made by mm-hmm. the state. We have publicly funded arts. All the movies that you see in theaters, which means none because you never go see Canadian films, are <laughs> yeah. all of those movies are made by the state, basically. Mm-hmm. They come from public funding. There's a double-edged sword to this, right? The, the other side is that, okay, so everything's been greenlit by a bunch of bureaucrats there's a certain small amount of money we're a little bit safety cautious Mm -hmm. you don't quite have i think the rogues that you have in the united states we're not quite as brash or maybe gutsy or or outlandish as filmmakers in other parts of the world and and you you need a whole bunch of people in a room to all say yes at the same time to the same project and so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the things that get greenlit i mean i'm not a huge fan of a lot of canadian cinema and that's sucks like i don't want to not be a a fan of canadian but um so most most of the funding gets filtered through telefilm Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and telefilm does your larger canadian films so telefilm funds uh adam mcgoin and and david cronenberg and deepa meta uh filmmakers like that are sort of legacy filmmakers and then it it'll start in the few hundred thousand dollar range. Now they have a new program the last couple of years called Talent to Watch, 
where they'll give they'll give debut filmmakers one hundred and twenty five thousand, which is oh, wow, wow, which is great. Um, though it's that will go really fast. It's mm. it's kind of it's funny because especially for debut feature filmmakers that have never had a budget now getting one hundred and twenty five grand, like especially once you start paying for actors, that's yeah. going to go really really fast. Yeah. It's not actually a lot when you have to pay for actors. It has certain strange rules, like. Uh, that I'm not a fan of because like for example I've never gotten money from telefilm I've now made a couple features and a lot of shorts mm-hmm. and I've done it for nothing so I've, I've of my own initiative so you think then maybe I'm in the best position to like finally have a little bit of money to make something because I've shown that I can f- uh, see something through and finish it but I'm ineligible really because I've made stuff for like a thousand dollars that's four hours long they're just like no so you can't Oh my goodness! Wow. Which makes no sense. So you're so they cha- rather chance one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars on someone that has done nothing than someone that has done something. Oh my goodness! Yeah. that's insane. Yeah, it's it's a strange. I I think it's a really odd decision, and I don't know why they're so married to the idea of it being a very first feature. Why not just it should be your first money, like someone who's ready for their first money. Anyway, I think in theory it's a nice idea. I um. I think they've had a few they wanted to do 50 a year uh-huh. i think they didn't make that the first year but it's a new program so that's understandable but they even did even less this past year so mm. i don't know what's happening with that program but um anyway telefilm is the major funder and then there's arts grants so you have every province basically has their own arts grants if there's a bc arts council there's an ontario arts council quebec has its own system of course but it, it has a provincial arts council as well and those are for smaller grants and uh and they generally skew to the more the more art house and the more sort Mm -hmm. of um Mm -hmm. abstract projects so what do you need to like even apply for the funding like uh, say harris and i wants to do a film right do i at least (laughs) we talked about log lines earlier yeah um do i at least need to have a log line a premise or do i need to have like a whole script written to present to them and they say, like, what's the evaluation process, I guess, for even... It's, you're not getting in the door with telephone, basically, yet. So okay. let's say you guys are starting out and you want to make something. I mean, if you've made anything already, that's good, so you have a portfolio. If you're applying to the arts uh, councils, there's kind of a template they have set up mm-hmm. in terms of how you're supposed to apply and the questions you're supposed to answer. You're, you have to, of course, talk about... You have to, it's, it's like applying to a university or something. Mm-hmm. You have to... <laughs> the grant writing thing is hard and there's people that do professional grant writing and they'll take a cut if you get it mm-hmm. because there's a certain language to writing grants and 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 i'm not good at it obviously <laughs> i've never get these grants but but there's people that are very good at talking the talk in terms of grant writing um but you have to explain the the project and and sometimes you'll have to say what your target audience is or what you're expecting to do with it um and play up the the virtue and the value of of having this funded by mm-hmm. by arts funders but you would you would apply to like there's a toronto arts council uh, ontario arts council or canada council so uh, sorry go ahead <laughs> so right so there's a lot of so i feel like we're in a time where there's a lot of kids who are kind of in the high school phase and you know this is kind of a glamorous thing film to get into and yeah. they don't know kind of whether they should go into school or how to even realize what um their specific role in film is and someone yeah. that's gone through that kind of what advice would you have for someone that 
thinks they're into film. I would suggest do everything that I didn't do, or like do <laughs> make make very. It sounds like some choices. of your stuff was positive, like was, political was, science. I, like I, even though it's not related, sounded like yeah, you know, fun. Yeah, but in terms of like get, it's been a long unorthodox road for film. But right. I think if you're wanting to get into film right away and like learn ropes, but you're not sure, uh, there's various ways to do it. One is you could. You could do a BFA or a vocational school, and then you'll meet <clears throat> some like-minded people that want to, and you'll build up your technical skills, and you'll get a sense of what a set is, and, and mm -hmm. uh, you'll make something, and you can go out and try and make stuff. Or you can just start at the bottom rung on, on a set. And, I mean, if you go onto Facebook, there's tons of different groups where people are constantly looking for people to work on sets, and some of them will be non-paid. But at least you get your, your feet wet a little bit and start mm -hmm. to learn the ropes just as like a PA and through that you could potentially see what other people are doing on a set mm -hmm. and maybe you find that you want to work like I mean the camera department is broken into several people maybe you want to just start out doing like second AC or something like that and you learn those ropes and then you can move your way up and eventually start to get paid for things as you as you go along but yeah I would say even just Facebook Craigslist there's there's things shooting every single day in Toronto that you could and a lot of things will need help. Uh -huh. And if you're willing to work for free at the start, right, you can uh -huh. easily get experience. Yeah. So, what kind of groups should people even be looking for? Like, what do you what do you punch in? Um, there's one on Facebook that I'm on, which is like, I need a producer slash fixer slash something. I'm sure you can find it. Um, uh -huh. Most of the posts are from Toronto. Okay. You, you cool. get occasional posts out of Vancouver. Um, Seems like a pretty useful resource. It's a very useful resource. Yeah. 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 So for people that are interested in looking or getting into film mm -hmm. making, or even people that just want an idea of what filmmaking, like what's the process to creating a film? You have your pre-production, your production, your post-production, and there's all of that. Like, what goes into each? If you're making your own film, you're probably writing it. Mm -hmm. So it's that that difficult, lonely process of writing, or you can write with other people, and then you need to. Uh, st you should then storyboard. Basically, you need to pre-visualize if you're mm -hmm. going to be directing it as well. Uh, storyboarding is basically you are almost drawing out the shots you're, you're pre-visualizing and have a sense of how your scenes are going to flow. You would then try and just rent equipment. There's rental houses. There's co-ops in, in Toronto like Lyft as well where you mm -hmm. get discounts if you're uh, a member. Um, you'll have to put together a team of your friends uh, and hope that they show up on time because <laughs> sometimes like getting people to help with a movie or show up at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like sometimes, especially with no budget film, imagine like everyone out there can knows how difficult it is to get their friends to help them move. Like I got to move on Saturday. I'll give you pizza, and <laughs> can you please come at seven a.m. because that's when the loading truck's going to be there. You need to help me move. And you're rolling the dice that your deadbeat friends will come <laughs> <laughs> and like show up for pizza at 7 a.m. But they went out drinking the night. But, like that's kind of imagine doing that every single day. That's mm. what a film shoot at, at first is. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And then when you put funding into that, then, then they got to show up. Then they got to show <laughs> then up. Then they got to show up. Yeah. But does it make it harder, or it just makes it? I mean, obviously, funding Money makes, makes it, look, it easier. Money makes, makes it easier. Everything easier. Because I know sure. I had to do a film, yeah. for class. Yeah. Well, it wasn't your class. It was a different class. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it was a class I absolutely hated. Um, <laughs> and every time I would say, hey, can you, like some friends, 
I don't even know if he might be one of them, so I might be talking about him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, are you guys free? Blah, blah, blah. This day I need to do this. This is like for class. Like, I have to turn this in for a grade. Can you yeah. please come? Yeah. And then the day would come and they'd be like, oh, sorry, I can't Pe- come. People skills are an important part of filmmaking, my friend. You got to you know, <laughs> you gotta have a charismatic personality. You got to direct them into coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, I would always give that offer like, hey, I'll give you pizza and pop and alcohol. I just really need some help with this project because it's, it's for class and I don't have anybody else to do it. And, and then... What I, did you it, learn from this experience? Well... That's a great question, actually. I learned to be better prepared because mm-hmm. partially it was my fault for not being prepared because I didn't know what I was doing mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to expect, you know, as opposed to just randomly texting people a week before I I would have, since I had, if I took a class and I already knew in the beginning of the class, or even if it's just myself doing a project, either or, I would just be like, okay, I, I want to shoot this at this particular time frame. And I would let people know, like, would you be involved? Okay, cool. Can you book off these dates at this time? And I'll be ready for all of that. But since I didn't know what I was doing, it was just like I was also in, like, panic mode because it's, like, for a class. I'm just like, yo, can you come? Can you come, please? I didn't realize. I hate this class. I don't want to do it. Professor sucks. Like, can we we, we just do it? And it came to, like. But weren't you excited to make your film? It came out bad. <laughs> <laughs> it came out terrible because everything I originally this wanted. This is the handbag one? This is the purse kit, yeah. This is oh, the I purse. haven't seen it. I want to see you it. You will never see it, actually. <laughs> 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 yeah. it, was, it was so bad because, and I talked about it on an episode before, but like everything I had planned mm-hmm. in my mind that would be like, this is so awesome, did not happen, mm-hmm. okay? The locations I wanted it to be at did not happen there. No sound was not good, yeah. and it was just like, actually, I even had it on YouTube, and then I took this clip of like background noise from somewhere that I thought was free, or I think I paid for it. I don't even remember. Yeah. Um, and it was just like dining ambiance, and it got flagged on YouTube. It was up for months, and it got <laughs> flagged on YouTube, and it was wow. like, this can't be played because of this copyrighted area, and I was like, what? And I had to huh. delete it from from youtube because there's certain good websites that if you are starting a filmmaker and you need sound or foley or something like that then they're free sound i would recommend freesound.org and it'll have different it'll tell you uh, the copyright level for each clip and there's Mm. some that are that are copyright free some that you'll have to credit them some that are just Mm -hmm. like you have to pay and you yeah yeah. i use sometimes what's also good is free music archive yeah uh dot org i think it is i've used that for stuff before mm-hmm. um but it's, it's very hard to find free stuff and, yeah. and when you're working with no budget though like that five dollars that it pays for a sound is like oh, that's so much money you know <laughs> like it's so much money well festivals are worse because then if you're still making something for no money and then you want to apply to tiff it's a hundred bucks or like whatever like some of them are wow. exorbitant so yeah some are, and tiff is the biggest one i feel like, yeah at least then, in north and america probably not going to watch your film <laughs> yeah. it's true yeah. something that size yeah they get thousands of that's something that people don't really so know. for a hundred bucks they're not even guaranteeing that they're going to watch your film that sounds some, insane yeah it is so, say, someone's going to watch it but it might be an intern and they 
Mm. And then you're down to their subjective taste, and they're thinking about, well, will my boss hire up like this? Mm-hmm. And then if they do, they'll have a pile that they like and they don't like, and then the other interns are in their piles, and they send them on up. But then there's no guarantee necessarily that the programmer is going to be running if this is like the short films. Like it's mm-hmm. people don't realize that about large festivals. But if you break it down, like if you're doing, if you have thousands of submissions, right? How is that possible in terms of actual time? It's not. So when, not you, when you it. when you get submitted to a film festival and you have to go to this film festival, how do you advert? Do you have to advertise your own screening of your movie? Or do they do they have like a template where they set up and they tell you about the films that are happening so people know about them? I mean, if you get into TIFF, they advertise, right? Yeah. They have that huge booklet that comes out. They'll they'll start and there'll be press releases about Canadian films mm-hmm. that will go to Globe Mail and go go to mm-hmm. all our our papers and National Post and stuff like that. Um, if you're going to a smaller film festival, then absolutely if you if it's in a town where you know some people that you could try and drum up some interest you know via facebook or social media or whatever that's that's totally up to you you can do that anyway for the big ones but it's uh only really the big ones that are going to be advertised yeah okay that makes sense so as a filmmaker do you do you keep tabs on like the different film award platforms (laughs) like oscars emmys baftas golden globes etc like I, I, I mean, I know what's being nominated mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the the big ones like BAFTAs and Oscars. And, and sometimes I get lured into... I mean, the Golden Globes used to be kind of fun. And sometimes it is with Ricky Gervais because he just... He, he says whatever. trolls everybody, basically. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's... But I like that, that there's some humility to it. Because especially with the Oscars, you have these actors that get on stage. And sometimes they're very eloquent and sometimes they're very good points. The things they want to talk about and soapbox about. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, really? This yeah. is like millionaires giving each other golden statues. Like, don't <laughs> you don't speak <laughs> for everybody. Like, yeah. it's not, it, uh, I don't know. Just, like, say something nice yeah. and, and thank you thank you. you're lucky you're yeah. you know things are going well yeah. in your life if you're even <laughs> yeah. nominated like yeah. i think ricky jarvis said that yeah. in his last thing he's like just come get your bloody award and yeah. say thank you and get off the stage thank like you're in no position yeah. you're in no <laughs> position bad though his his last one was pretty hacky w- he was just great. promoting it his own great. show he's like oh it's about like i'm like you're literally talking about your own show i agree <laughs> it wasn't his best song for sure yeah. Yeah. i thought that portion was funny but i didn't watch the whole yeah. Um, so does do you do you watch these awards show? Do you like sometimes I trick myself into watching <laughs> and thinking it won't be so bad, and then I hate I like I hate watch, and then I I feel like why am I doing <laughs> this? This is terrible every time, and oh my god, like it, but so yes, I kind of watch them a little bit, but then which ones did you watch this year? Like did you watch the? Oscars? I watched some of the Globes because I I'd hoped that Ricky would be really funny, but as mm-hmm. Harris said, he wasn't as great as he'd been before, and then. Um, I watched some of the Oscars as well, but it's it's kind of weird they haven't had a host the last couple of years. But no one wants to host that show. Yeah, nobody. I don't. I don't. It's think a lose lose situation. Yeah. Like if it doesn't go well, you're blamed. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like with with heart, you know, they found his old tweets and yeah. like it's it's thankless. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. before we run out of time, what? So in this you know ever changing environment where everybody has a voice and everybody can potentially make movies and tell stories what is the future of filmmaking and storytelling for you for you not oh yeah that you were giving like but to put the whole industry on his yeah, back like, really what's going to happen is it going to be what's going to happen with, yeah. 
I, Netflix I mean, is the you future. You must have a vision of like where you belong and kind of sure. what you want to do. And absolutely, I I mean I have I have a certain amount of uh, like I have there's certain films I want to make, but I can't make them right now because I don't have that funding. Right. Mm. So my plan is that like if the plan A is that like if all of a sudden tomorrow like this new short does very well and that that gives me some uh, a wedge into getting. F- telefilm funding for the next one or something like that then i know what i'm going to make with money and if this one just another tree falling in the woods <laughs> with no one hearing it then it's back to like thinking of smaller things that i can do with no money but like i'm just gonna keep pushing i think but i wanted to go back to the oscars really quickly sure um <laughs> how did you feel about or what did you think about any of the nominations well the winners now because we're a week past the yeah I think it's really cool that um, that Parasite and Boone uh, and, and the director of, of that film that they sort of broke Hollywood's sort of long-standing xenophobic deal with foreign films mm-hmm. because there was always like a foreign film or foreign language category, but those films would never usually sort of also be nominated for Best Picture or this one actually won Best Picture. So that's and but it, this I, one actually became huge in North America as yes. well, which is I don't know how that all of a sudden happened because I had seen it before Oscar buzz or anything. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it it has to happen because ultimately the Oscars, even though it's this global thing and they want to talk about their reach, it's yeah. an American award show, mm-hmm. and it's a Hollywood specific award show. And to be uh, to have a film that's eligible, you have to meet certain criteria, and part of that is your film has to play in Los Angeles County for oh, at okay. least a week and oh. so you need it has to be out and basically you have to meet all these hurdles with the oscars right it, you have to have a popular film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but it's funny that they're still so now they've sort of broken this translation barrier and like accepted a film that was non-english from outside they're still though making american remakes of things like right now downhill's coming out with like julia louis dreyfus and like will ferrell it's mm-hmm. based on a 2014 film called Force Majeure from Sweden, which is right. an amazing film that you don't need to remake. remake. <laughs> right. That film should have won Best Picture. It wasn't even nominated for Best Foreign, which uh, is uh-huh. insane to me because it was easily the best film of 2014. But uh, it's funny that they're still, like, just as uh, Boon John Ho is, like, just cracked Hollywood, you're mm-hmm. still having remakes come out. But that's laziness, time. no. It is laziness. I feel like that's like, the Hollywood that's the model like right now, though. Aladdin and Lion King. It's yeah. just like, wow, these stories, I like, those yeah, are cartoons. Aladdin was a little <laughs> bit different than the original, but what I, was my, it? It was a little bit different. Okay. Um, what was Jurassic Park 2 like? <laughs> <laughs> Not the backpack. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there was, um, Lion King was the one that I did not like. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that I did not like it because it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. It was just that it was literally shot for shot. The, the animated movie. They got to make money. And for me, I'm just like, I I, I could just watch, the, like, I guess people want to see live action, you know, or whatever perceived to be live action. But I think for myself, I'm like, if this is going to be the same thing as, like, the actual animated movie, then I don't really want to see this. I think with, with that, like, they want money, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but how do you, animation's different than live action, that live action can get old and stale and it can feel out of date and out of place and mm-hmm. people aren't using the phones, as you said, or, or this, that, so you can update 
films from like the 50s or the 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you have a beautiful piece of animation like The Lion King, mm-hmm. yeah. there's nothing wrong with it forever. Right. Yeah. So right. what do you do? How do you keep making money off it? Well, now you do a live action, well, yeah. kind of semi-live action computer generated mm-hmm. one. So you're saying that we've pushed the technology on this mm-hmm. thing that's already fine as it is yeah. Yeah. just to try and make more money. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it can be done because even the Jungle Book, like I love the Jungle Book. It's one of my favorite Disney movies ever created. And then when they did the remake, the live action mm-hmm. remake, I think John Favreau yeah. um, directed that actually. And I was like, yeah. oh, I don't want to see if it's going to be the same. And it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit different and it was very well done. I was like, okay, not bad. That was pretty good for a live action movie. Um, you, they changed the songs a little bit or whatever. But it wasn't the same shot for shot. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I can do this. So I thought that might be what was going to happen with The Lion King. Right. And then when The Lion King came out, I was like, oh, this is, this is just the same thing. I don't, yeah. doesn't do it for me. And and they make and it's, I mean, it made over a billion dollars, right? Which is, it made over a billion dollars. It made over a billion dollars. Which wow. is insane, but I feel like that's the Hollywood formula that's what they're now. They're shooting for now. Yeah, they're, they're, they're Hollywood's aiming for billion-dollar films now. Well, like that's I, what they want: Star Wars and this. these movies are making. They're insane, which it's making it hard for smaller movies. Of course, it squeezes them out. Yeah, it's, it's a, because they're not getting the screen time because they're not getting the opportunity for people to see them because. They're, if they are in theaters, they're not in the large theaters. You got to right. go to the more smaller, um, unknown theaters, so to speak. Yeah, but I think and that'll just drive people out of theaters, right? Because the no, content. because because the the movie industry is like we want to see Big Bang, like we want to see the Marvel stuff, we want to see the live action remakes. Like people, it yeah. made a billion dollars because somebody. I mean, it. plus I want to see it. Like <laughs> I'm a culprit as well. Like I went to the theater to see. You're part of Lion the problem. King. <laughs> part, of the, yeah. part of the problem. But I mean, like, I feel like the Hollywood formula right now is like, let's just remake old ideas. For movies though, there's like still TV and I think we're kind of in a golden age of TV right now. I, I mean, yeah. The, like we had some good cases in point this year that like, Martin Scorsese, who's one of the greatest living American filmmakers, who's right. made masterpieces, couldn't get his movie made by studios. Mm-hmm. So he made it on Netflix. Yeah. And that's a sign like if you can't if no one's willing to fund Scorsese. Is that was that the <laughs> yeah. case? He wasn't Yeah, he couldn't get he couldn't it funded. Get funded. He couldn't get funding. Yeah. So and Netflix said sure. Yeah. But I feel like it depends on their style of movie though as well, right? Because is 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 maybe Scorsese's problem is the trope that like kind of his movies are the same kind of genre almost, but they're not superhero like they're not blockbusters. It speaks not blockbuster. to what you were saying is that like all there's room for right now is blockbusters, and uh, right. we're lucky in Toronto that there's so many theaters that you get some of these rep cinemas that'll play smaller yeah. films. But like, when I go home to Victoria. There's like two theaters downtown, and they each have like five, six screens. Mm. They're going to try and maximize their profit. What yeah, are they going to put in those five, six? The like it's all remakes and it's all blockbusters mm. and and sequels and like it's mm. so hard to see smaller independent or foreign or or whatever mm. stuff. Well, I, I I would like more original ideas, Hollywood. Just put that yes. on the record. You know. <laughs> so I do have one more question for okay. you. Okay. Maybe two. Um, <laughs> So as an, as an artist, you know, as a filmmaker, yeah. Um, every piece you do, um, do you are you trying to get it to tell a story, or is it just something you just wanted to put together, put together, just to express, um, be able to express your art? 
it's a both. I do both. both. I think. I mean, you mentioned the Hemsworth, and that mm-hmm. was just something that came about because I wanted. It, I wasn't really trying to tell a story. I just it actually came out of writer's block. I was writing something else. <laughs> and I was like home on a Friday night and <laughs> I was, it was like, you know, February in Toronto, it's miserable and it was cold. <laughs> and I'm like writing a script kind of for somebody else. And I had writer's block on it. And I'm like, this sucks. My life sucks. <laughs> and I don't have a girlfriend right now. And look, why am I writing for someone else? And what? I'm, it's snowing outside. It's cold. Why did I move here? I came from such a nice place in the country. <laughs> and then, so I'm like, ah, oh, screw this. And I like go onto YouTube. And it was one of those Hemsworths was on Jimmy Kimmel or something. And I was like, oh, these guys. They're <laughs> just, I, they're so good looking and rich <laughs> and it's like shut up and and like a couple of those lines just popped into my head and to break the writer's block I was just like I'm just going to write anything so I'll, I'll write down those two lines that I find funny but I don't think this is a thing mm. and just put it to the shelf but just to get that fluidity happening and then a couple of weeks later it popped back into my head again these Hemsworths I, I don't know if I can swear <laughs> in the show but like, you absolutely can these fucking guys <laughs> fucking. and and so i like oh that's funny and i wrote down like two more lines i put it i was like but that's not a film and yeah. then three weeks go by and it's like it popped into my head again it's like okay this is the third time it's still making me laugh i guess i got to explore this thing and i didn't know what it was or how it was going to be a film and i thought about two friends that could do it with me i thought this isn't even interesting it's not even a film and then at some point i had the idea just like well if i play all of them then that's actually kind of more formally interesting because and there's three of the Hemsworths and there's three of me in it and it became something but it wasn't really trying to tell a story more than it was like an expression of just a satire about rage kind of <laughs> you know yeah. making kind of making fun of them even though they're taking it really hard to the hoop on <laughs> Australians and the Hemsworths <laughs> <laughs> But with the longer pieces, yeah, I'm usually trying to like express and tell a story more coherent. Do you story. ever get stuck in knowing whether something's part of a bigger piece or whether it's like an individual piece, like the Hemsworth piece, on its own? Uh, n- no, that that stuff's been usually, especially short films, is where I like to just muck around and play around. And usually, my short stuff is a bit more funny and satirical because mm-hmm. I'm just like, this isn't a full idea. It's not a mm-hmm. full film in a way. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that is more playful. Um. So, and it can just live on its own, and I know that right away. Mm-hmm. Do you have any shorts that you would like, ideally, to make a feature, or could be a feature you would like to develop? Uh, no, no, no. They're they're their own little. It's just they're like one-off songs in a way. You mm. know, it's like that song. It's good. It's okay, good. I don't need it. So, do you have any new projects you're working on? I know you were. I, I am. Yeah. Yes, I, I'm. I'm got a new short film that's going to be called Ava Goes Viral, and uh, I shot most of it in December, and I did a few reshoots recently, mm-hmm. as you know, yeah. and going to try and get that out to festivals, and uh, I, I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. That's the one you've been working on, and that I've been actually. This is the one that I was kind of writing for a friend or uh-huh. with them in mind when I wrote the Hemsworths. Ah, uh, okay. Because I was having trouble at the time with the transitions because it's a bit longer. It's like twenty-one minutes, so it's it has a bit more of a, a structured feel. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, it's going well. Okay, good. Yeah. And last question, I ask everybody this question. <laughs> okay. It's supposed to say trick question, but it's not really a trick question. Yeah. 
Would you prefer to be the first at something or the best at something? Um, yeah, I guess the impulse is to be the best at it, but there's something to be said for first. I mean, everyone still knows who Neil Armstrong is, right? He's the <laughs> first guy off onto the moon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But how can you be best at getting off on the moon, you know? Exactly. Like, once you did it once. First is the best then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for moon landings. For moon landings. There was, there was a guy last night, in, uh, s- for those sports fans out there, there was like the hockey stadium series where they do the outdoor game. And someone, I think on the Kings or something, had a hat trick. And it was the ha- first hat trick to ever be in one of the stadium series. So his name's always going to be there. It's like, <laughs> who is the first person to have a hat trick in the outdoor? Like, it's not the best. He's not Wayne Gretzky, but... Right, but he's the first to have he's done there. something. Yeah, okay. Um so my impulse is the best, but just for shits and giggles, we'll say the first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to close things out. Thank you, Eric, for joining us. Really appreciate you coming. Where Thank can you people find out more about your work? Or um, I mainly just have a Vimeo account. So if you go to Vimeo.com, and then I think it's a forward slash they do, a forward slash 1st of July films. And that's uh, like the, the number one ST mm-hmm. of july films all one word is that like your production company or yeah that's what i call my production that's what, okay yeah cool and harris this is the third time you've been on third straight consecutive wow right 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 they call Patrick. it <laughs> <laughs> is it better to be first or the best yeah, i don't know that's <laughs> called a trend only time will tell i don't know if you know but scientifically three things consecutively is a trend that's a pattern yeah. is, that, a is pattern. that a thing people say okay yeah it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a pattern it's, it's a pattern even like a well, I guess we're going into overtime. Because <laughs> two, you can't tell if it's right. a pattern. Yeah, yeah, It's a mathematical thing, it's too. A mathematical so thing. If, you, if you have, like, let's say two numbers in a row, if you have two and then four, it's like, well, was it multiplication to get to four or was it addition? And you can mm-hmm. only tell that by the next number, if it's eight or if it's six or, you know, whatever. Right. Gotcha. So this is a pattern. Will this pattern be continuing? <laughs> Who knows, man? <laughs> Only time will tell. Tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank you guys. Thank, yeah, you too. Uh, yo, we got to tell you how. You uh, got to tell people how they can get oh, in touch with you. Oh, oh yeah, at Harry Nadim, H A R I underscore N A D W E M. You can check me out there. Got any shows going on anytime soon? Uh, I have a show on the twenty fourth at the Cameron House Theater or whatever Cameron House place is. That's on Queen Street West. Nice. Yeah. I will probably not be there. Wow. So. <laughs> it's like trying to get someone to show up to help you film. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and as always, Young Pros Talk, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything. I just I just hate having to say the same thing over and over each time. So I'm it's got, say, you've got great merch. How can people get your merch? Um, that's a great question. Does it say that there? <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing it up. Uh, that's a great question. The merch uh, site will be up soon. I'm working on that. It'll be on the website, so people will be able to just go on the Young Pros Talk. Left-handed mugs. <laughs> <laughs> there will be T-shirts. There will be mugs. And I'm actually, there's be some more fun stuff coming soon. But um, Great. Yeah, that's it. So thanks for listening. Thank right. you. Thank you. The It's Always the Right Time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> but it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. 
And there's a classic for every craving. Mix and match two for just $3.50. Like a McChicken, a McDouble, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer.